Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to this week's episode of the Business Herald podcast. I'm joined today by Mari Richardson and Darren Willoughby. Darren is MD of 2XL Commercial Finance, a national business and commercial finance brokerage brokerage established for 15 years with seven offices. Last year, they placed £76 million worth of commercial lending. Mari is a team performance coach with her business, Tomron. She was previously operations director in fast-growing multi-million pound businesses. She helps scaling up businesses to get the best from their uh, best from their leading teams. Welcome along. So this week, so this week has been yet another roller coaster for the UK economy and business news. On Tuesday, Pfizer announced that it was on target to release a vaccine that is less effective than your body at protecting against the virus, and the markets went crazy. Some shares in travel and hospitality saw 25-30% increases in their share price, as the expectation was that once we get a working vaccine, life will go back to normal for many. With that in mind, economists also changed their prognosis on the speed of recovery, expecting back-to-normal economy by next summer. Meanwhile, on Thursday, the official Q3 statistics were released, which demonstrate that GDP is down 8.2% since February, despite being up 15% on the last quarter and still down 9.6% year on year, a stat that shows that our economy is worse than Spain, France, Germany, and the US. So there's plenty to talk about this week. So firstly, Mari, what's your take on the vaccine being the hope and dreams of the economy? Is it? Mm, Interesting one. I think, um, well, obviously, economically, people think it is the answer to our prayers. Um, I'm reserved in judgment, I think. Um, I think... It's significant that it came out when it did. I think there's quite a lot of, uh, not wanting to sound like a conspiracy theorist, um, but you know, I think there is, it is questionable that uh, so much has been made of uh, a vaccine that isn't quite ready, hasn't gone through full testing. Um, so it isn't necessarily that we're actually going to be able to get it um, yet, but I'm glad that the markets have felt that it shows signs of confidence. I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think it's necessarily the be all and end all. Um, Through social media, I'm bombarded with people telling me they're not going to take it anyway, Um, which, you know, considering it's still not finished and it's not been fully tested seems a little bit um, rash, but, you know, people are desperate to talk about something, aren't they? And at least it felt like good news, which I think we all needed. It certainly did. Yeah, it felt um, Tuesday, sort of following the weekend of, you know, the, the announcement that Biden's going to replace Trump, most likely asterisk, uh, asterisk, asterisk subject to legal issues being uh, ironed out. But uh, th- there seemed to be a bit of a, a buzz in the air of, of um, Biden vaccine. We always have the, the, the pre-Christmas Santa rally in the stock markets as well. And it seemed to be a bit of a buzz, but that's kind of come down. Darren, what do you think? Do you think... Um, it, Bearing in mind this is aimed, this podcast is aimed at smaller businesses. Do you think actually having the, the vaccine there and allowing this kind of back to normal economy, um, do you think that's something that that everyone should be looking forward to? 
get you know getting back to normal and the vaccine is the way forward I think um, probably siding with what Mari said, I think the whilst obviously any glimpse of positivity at, at the moment, we should all try and grasp and, and enhance. And if it does anything to improve the economy, people's lives, people's welfare, people's mental health, um, then it, it should be something that should be uh, greeted warmly. I think the, uh, the bit that I'm really concerned about is that there seems to be a huge swathe of people that are reluctant to uh, even have the vaccine um, I, I, there's a few people that I've spoken to privately who have said you know I'll give it three to six months see how effective it is see if there's any side effects you know and all the other things before they're willing to to take the plunge and I think sadly you know if we're relying on the great British public to, to look to try and solve this problem You've only got to look at the contact uh, tracing app where, you know, a, a X amount of people have, have downloaded it, um, not as many as probably should have done, you know, and it is a, a real positive to help control the virus. Um, but then you've got people that turn off the um, the uh, the contact tracing element of it because they don't want to get alerts. Now, uh, for me, it kind of defeats the object. So, you know, if, you, if you're asking people who are doing that, for example, to and then decide that they don't want to take the vaccine i think we've got another problem on our hands you know what are we going to force people to take this vaccine and if people don't take the vaccine and become covid positive and and don't realize and then go on to continue spreading this then we're we're at square one again and i think sadly that a lot of these government measures that have come in are really just kicking the problem you know, further along the line. Um, and I think that goes as far as some of the government incentives, the government grants, the furlough uh, and everything else, sadly. So um, I think I'll just sort of wait and see, really. Um, I did find it reassuring when the chap came out and mentioned the mum test, um, because that's something that I actually talk about when I'm, I'm advising and, and recommending other professional advisors. You know, would you introduce this person to your mother to give them advice or to assist them. And if the answer to that is yes, then that's probably quite a positive. Um, they haven't met my mum, but and if they did, then you know, maybe they might not want to work with my mum, but <laughs> that's one for another day. <laughs> I'm sure she's lovely. Yeah, she is, bless her. <laughs> yeah, it's um, <clears throat> the, the, the point on, um, on, on the vaccine, I think then perhaps the, the, the climb down that we saw afterwards is the realisation that, um, so Pfizer said that they should have 50 million doses um, by the end of this year well, that's that's nothing in the grand scheme of things and and a billion by the end of next year which is sounds like a huge figure it really does but you need two of them um, so actually 750 million people and worldwide that's talk, we're talking 10 percent of the population so even by the end of um, 2021 it's still not a, a cure-all uh, scenario so there's some reality that even if Darren even if you're right that um, you know there's a percentage of the public that don't take the vaccine, don't want it for whatever reason. Um, and, and so that takes out one percentage, you know, a certain amount of people. And then of the people that do take it, well, actually we only have enough people to be, to be able to, um, to, to, to do this until, you know, the end of next year. The government's rollout plan of it is that they wanted to get a million doses um, a week, I think it was. I think I'm right in saying a week. Um, but whichever, I can't remember if it was a week or a month, um, but whichever way it was, it's, it's, it's not an immediate thing. It's not something that rolls out straight away. And I think the reality of it is it's something that's in the background uh, for, for all businesses, 
over the next few years, you know, vaccine or not. And I, and, and I think my view is that's probably why we saw a sort of a, a great, fantastic news. This was really good and all the markets went up and then reality hit. And it was actually like, well, actually, this is going to take a lot longer to, to see through to a point where actually we're, I don't know, clear of the virus, shall we say, in inverted commas. Um, I think it's going to be a long, a much longer haul um, than that. The economists, though, they, they looked at it all and they said, they changed their views. They say that um, the general expectation amongst most of the economists is that they expect, expect it to go back to normal by next summer. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I agree. Mari, what do you think? I, yeah, no, I, I think, um, and I don't want to use the expression, but I'm going to, um, Go I think it. it will be a, diff a different normal. Um, and, and I think part of me thinks this is a pattern, you know, announcing the, the vaccine is a pattern that we've seen right from the beginning in that we're given a piece of news, a piece of information. There's a lot of reaction and then a bit of quiet. And then there's another piece of news, which is, but every time we get that piece of news, there's a level of acceptance of it. Um, and I think we, so when it comes to the point where we've got the vaccine and we're going to deliver it, we're not outraged. You know, it, we're being drip fed information. But in terms of, do I think we'll be, I think, I think businesses have adapted so much already. Um, I think that there is a real possibility that by June we will have a different new world. And I think for a lot of businesses, that's um, that's not good news um, because they're not surviving now and they're not going to be surviving then. Um, the, when we went into lockdown and I looked at the, obviously the Northern Hemisphere figures are just at the moment, aren't they, in terms of increasing with the second wave, us going into winter, et cetera. Um, and as we went into lockdown, it just, little things occurred to you. We had a um, a loads of gigs, music gigs to go to this year, which were literally just picked up and dropped into 2021. And they're not going to happen. The, the, the gig may go ahead, but there's no way the same number of people will be there. People will not feel comfortable in large crowds of people. That is not, you know, that is something that is going to reduce. And I do think we will be wearing masks for ever potentially a long time to come if anyone's listening to the podcast of course we're all wearing masks no we're doing it <laughs> remotely don't worry um darren what did you want to say yeah i mean as much as it would be um great uh, and for, for maybe even for my own business and and to try and spread some positivity uh, around there um i've been saying now probably for six to seven months that i, I think we're we're, we're, we're dangling on the edge of a cliff. And for me, um, March, April, May is going to be the time when a lot of this sort of comes crashing down. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong, I want to be positive. I want the, you know, the economy to grow. I want businesses to thrive and everything else. But there's a couple of sort of key considerations as I see it. Um, first of all, the government-backed funding and lending, so the Seabills loan and the bounce back loans. Whilst a number of people have taken them, there's some pretty key stats that are out there that they think 26 billion pounds worth of that um, lending could potentially be fraudulent in some way. Yeah. But for those that have, have taken these loans and everything out with good intentions, um, 
they've actually got to start paying them back. Um, and with the majority of people taking them out in March, April, May, you know, those first loan payments are going to have to start being met. And giving an example, a £50,000 bounce back loan is going to cost the uh, business now something like £870 a month that they've not previously been paying. Now, £870 a month for many businesses is a sizable cost. Um, and how are those people going to be looking to pay that back if they're closed, if they're you know, in lockdown, if they're doing whatever they might be? Um, the other bit for me is that the furlough scheme uh, could potentially be ended. Uh, I think the deadline, I think, is 31st of March that they've stated on that. Um, so I think you're then going to see a glut of redundancies, a huge spike in unemployment. Um, and whilst everyone's pointing to some positivity, which is the housing market at the moment, well, the stamp duty um, threshold uh, amendments are 31st of March as well, I think. So for me, you know, as a commentator and, and sort of looking at the coalface every day working with businesses, I can just see um, March, April, May being the time that it, it, it could fall off a cliff in a spectacular fashion. Clearly, I hope that doesn't happen, you know, and I'm, I'm not wanting that to happen. I'm not scaremongering in any way. But if you couple that with, um, you know, the potential fraud in the C-bills with banks not lending to support uh, because they, they're undercapitalized now, it's, it's a perfect storm, um, unfortunately. And it's one that, that was probably, for many people, could be seen months ago. Um, a lot of businesses are surviving because of this government support at the moment. But my opinion is that we're kicking the can along the road and, you know, we're throwing more money after it. Uh, and then we could be, you know, on the verge of some very, very, very difficult times. And it's really horrible to see. It, it, it's, it's really sad to see. And, you know, I, I don't take any... Uh, you know, any pride in having that element of hindsight at all. But I just can see that there's a lot of problems that are coming around the corner that, that are being temporarily masked at the moment. And just finally, um, Brexit. <laughs> no one's mentioned that. Um, you know, there's a, this is coming around the corner and it's been, it's been, you know, hidden, you know, because of the coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, that was a big business problem for many people. Throw in a global pandemic, then... I think there's some some uh, difficult times ahead, sadly. Absolutely, and and we've we've kind of joked uh, different hosts, different uh, guests. Sorry, on this podcast, the, the running joke within it is um, the the phrase "kicking the can down the road." We've used it, I think, almost every time on every <laughs> podcast. And I'm so pleased that you came along and used it um, because it's it, it's true. I think I think you're absolutely right, and I think um, the the changes that they made just at the um, uh, just recently to kind of extend furlough, like you say, um, just means that there's still three million people on furlough. Um, and and my honest opinion is, if you're still on furlough now, you you don't have a job. Once that furlough scheme to get take, gets taken away, you're going to be made redundant. Um, and that's going to be a massive, massive impact for businesses. And like you say, the repayment of all the support loans directly and indirectly through tax as well is um, a difficult one. And I think that the stats um, stats show that, you know, we're not in a good position. We're not, uh, we've not come out of it as much as we'd all like to, uh, to, to read that good news. We're still down nearly 10% of the economy, um, you know, from, from this time last year. And that's, you know, there's a long way to go. Um, Murray, you had something to, to add to what Darren said there. Oh, I feel like this is a black cloud event. Goodness me. Always is. I guess I, I think I'm uh, 
ridiculous optimist now. Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, I network with a number of small businesses that are doing really well. Um, and, and to answer your point about furlough, a lot of people are using who didn't furlough their staff, who sort of just about struggled through the last period, have jumped on the furlough wagon now because they see that strategically it's better for their business to have that cash flow in the business for a little while. And once, of course, once you've used it, you can then put people on flexible furlough. So I think there is an element of, you know, it isn't the same people have been on furlough since March. Um, and and yeah, I completely agree with you. I also know businesses who've made people redundant, who've acknowledged that their business isn't going to survive. Um, but on a positive note, um, somebody did point out to me this morning that um, many of our most familiar brand names were created in down in depressions. You know, your Disney, your WhatsApp was created. Um, these are all. I believe that new industries and new businesses will come out of this um, and the, the kicking the can down the road gives them time, you know, gives them time to get up and running to, to need to employ people who are going to be made redundant. I mean, it's not going to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think. And it is going to be difficult. It was, there is, we couldn't have a pandemic and no economic second, no economic consequences. You know, I, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I just, I just uh, this morning was writing an article on the opportunities that arise out of a, uh, a recession. And there's a quote from Walt Disney, but I can't find if it's actually attributed to him or it's just one of those internet memes that uh, you know attribute quotes to random people. Um, but the quote is along the lines of, "I hear there's a recession going on. I choose not to participate in it." Um, and, and I think for many smaller businesses, although they have the impact, if they're not in a, in a huge business supply chain or anything like that, and they're doing kind of doing their own thing, then there's potential that actually all of this doesn't really apply to them anyway. It goes on in the big wide world and doesn't really um, you know, impact them as much as it might do someone that's um, of larger standing. Darren. Yeah, I think the um, I agree with what Mari said, and clearly we don't want this to be um, doom, doom and gloom, you know, by by any stretch of the imagination. But I think the, the phrase when I use the phrase "kicking the can down the road," I think what I mean by that is, you, you know, you might have been in a position where a business wasn't actually that great at the beginning anyway, and it may well have naturally have, even if we weren't in the midst of a global pandemic, failed anyway. So when you are throwing money potentially in the form of say grants or loans to businesses that haven't got to prove whether they can service that debt. Um, they're being basically told, you know, go down the bottom of the road and there's 50,000 pounds in a suitcase for you. Um, and at the same time, um, you might get a government grant that is just effectively a free gift for you. And on top of that, then your staff who you're probably going to lay off anyway, uh, you can get away with 80% of their wages being paid. You know, whilst I, I fully appreciate all the social elements of that, and I really do, you know, clearly we don't want people being, you know, mass unemployment and everything else. But, you know, is there an argument to say, do you do these things now, you know, and these people, people are made redundant or whatever it might be, or do we spend hundreds of millions of pounds just to move the problem three to six months down the line? Because those problems may well have existed before the pandemic anyway and because of the very nature of how things like the grants were given out and how bounce back loans were given out 
they weren't tested in any way. Uh, there's multitudes of um, examples that I, that, and being on the coalface of this and seeing this on a business finance aspect, you know, I, I've seen um, a business that was um, working from their garage. Now, I won't go into too much detail on it, but they, they had a business that was working from the garage, very minimal turnover, um, wasn't particularly profitable. And they were given a 50,000 pound grant, you know, and, you know, that, I just look at it then and think, well, you know, was that the right thing to do for that particular business, giving someone a grant for 50000 that was nearly the equivalent of their year's turnover? You know, I'm not sure. And uh, I think there's going to be some problems that arise out of this further down the line. Granted, for many businesses, this was a great lifeline and the support that was there, you know, and, and you know, fair play to the guys and the powers that be that did that and rescued that. But I just don't think we're seeing the problem surface just yet. I think that will come in this next six to 12 months. Yeah, uh, I think that's good. Thank you. Um, another story that uh, that caught my eye this week was a report that said one in five self-employed people are looking at getting a job. They're fed up. They want to jack it in. Um, and 60% of under 30s said that they know, you know, they, they wouldn't want to be self-employed uh, either. Um, again, without wanting to be the, the, the harboring of doom on this podcast and this show um both of you you know business owners and uh, and, and doing doing well um it's not that bad out there if you're a small business is is, is this you know is it going to be something that's going to make you jack it in and go and get a job is that is that right is that something that you you know people are going to do what do you think darren um well i certainly won't be, be doing that um i mean in we've worked very hard in 15 years to to establish this business and and clearly there's a market still for what we do as a as a service in a business um but not to really make it about 2xl commercial finance because clearly this isn't this is for for everybody but um, to buy 2xl yeah (laughs) it's all very well uh, people saying yeah i I want a jacket and i'm going to go and get a job where are these jobs they're going to because you know, in, in essence, if you're self-employed, you are the master of your own your own destiny. Yes, there's economic forces out there. There's a pandemic. Yeah, we, we get all that. But that's what you do if you're self-employed. You go out and you try and adapt, and you do what you can do. Um, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know, um, we're in a situation where, as a business, we went for a credit crunch. You know, in 2007, which you know, when you're a business that relies on getting bank funding to support businesses and the banks don't want to lend any money, you know, that that it gets tricky. Um, but you you manoeuvre, you work your way around the market. Uh, and if people are saying, thinking that they can go and go out there and say, right, well, I'm just going to go and get a job now. Well, with the expected spike in unemployment, um, you know, where are the where are those jobs going to be and do will they actually exist? And it's funny that... Um, we recently took uh, three new recruits into the business who all came from working for banks, you know, in an in an employed role. And obviously, it's a big step. You know, I did it 15 years ago. Stephen, I know you've just done it recently. And uh, Mari, I'm sure we are the same. Where previously you've been employed and you go out and you take that plunge. You go out and do, you know, working self-employed. And it does come with the sleepless nights, the worries. Have I done the right thing and everybody else? And one of the guys who was in our team after sort of three or four months called me and said, look, you know, it's difficult this in, in this market, isn't it? I said, yeah, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, it isn't. He said, speaking to some of my friends who are employed at the moment, you know, they're, they're on furlough, they're on 80%, and they were out on the golf course three to five days out a week. I said, that's all very well. 
you know, if you fast forward where they are six months now, they haven't got a job and they doesn't look like there's going to be any prospects of them going into employment anytime soon. So, um, you know, for me, being in control of your own destiny is what it's what it's all about. And that's why you do it. Yeah, I, I, I think I would. Um, I, those statistics are quite interesting and they're, they're not really reflective of what I've seen in uh, my experience. So part of a coaching community where people can uh, bid for for coaches um, and I would say 90% of the requests for coaching are for people who want to start their own business. Um, you know, who are currently employed, who want to start their own business. Um, and somebody else I know who works in startup finance um, said that the demand for, you know, new startup businesses opening bank accounts is massive. Um, so I think, but it's interesting for me, it's, uh, I was talking to somebody um, as part of um, coaching a, a business um, who is looking to move from a, uh, an employee job to a different employee job. And we discussed whether or not they would be interested in being self-employed rather than employed. And um, then and it was a no-brainer for him. It's like, no, no, I need to be employed. I need to have that security, et cetera. And I think you are going to get a generation, you potentially are going to get a generation of children who have, whose parents have struggled you know, and are going to continue to struggle probably for the next two or three years, um, who will look at, you know, self-employment has been the, the mecca for a lot of people for a long time. And actually, maybe we've raised a generation of children who won't see it that way and who will want to go back to having a long-term career with a business. Um, be quite interesting to know, you know, to find out in, in 10 years' time when we can look back and see whether or not we made any of the right decisions. Um, you know, how it's affected uh, young people and their perception of self-employment. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, um, we'll, we'll diarise it and we'll have another call in 10 years' time. Um, <laughs> the flip side of the stats, actually, it was a couple of weeks ago we, we, we were talking on this show about there being an increase in the num- new companies that have been registered um, over and above what's normal uh, this time of year. And there's something like 85,000 new or additional companies have been created, given the sign that people are actually setting up business um, and, uh, you know, and, and actually starting their own. And I think it's, I think, Darren, you might be right, is that you know, for some people, it just, it, it isn't for them. Um, it, you know, self-employment, it's, it can be tough at times. And if you don't adapt and don't change, then you know, perhaps getting a job is right for you. Um, and, and, and so the, for me, I think, although one in five people might be looking at getting a job, there's probably more than one in five people that have got a job that are looking at going self-employed. I, I, I know, I, I know that, um, you know, in, in what I do with uh, people that are losing a job and they're, you know, having to sign a settlement agreement, for instance, um, almost all of them have said, well, actually, I think I might, you know, set up on my own. I've realized working from home, doing what I do, I can do, I can do this and I can set up my own business. And, um, and so actually we have um, all of those people that now want to go and get a job, they're going to be replaced by, people that want to go self-employed anyway and maybe that's just the, the circle of life the second point that i wanted to make was on um on that stat about the under 30s 59 percent of under 30s um said that they don't want to be self-employed the, my question there and and that's something for the report uh, makers question there is were those people actually truly self-employed or were they in the gig economy were they 
Uber drivers, Deliveroo drivers, and, um, and, and those people that are on the gig economy or on zero hour contracts or people that are actually termed self-employed, but in law and in tax, they're not really. Um, because if you are those people, you're, you're an employee uh, by, by all intents and purpose. Um, you're, just, you're just paying self-employed tax um, to try and save a little bit of money, but you then don't get all the benefits of being employed like holiday and pension, et cetera. So if you were one of those people, then you'd feel like being self-employed is rubbish. You know, it's what, what's the point in that? Darren? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting how, um, you know, and you know why politicians employ spin doctors and things like that now, but um, it's it, it, the interpretation of, of a stat, which is there in black and white, it can be, can be um, portrayed in two different ways. So, because um, you both made points, um, one was the um, number of startups uh, requiring to access finance and to open bank accounts. And then the other one, uh, Stephen, you said, was the companies that had been registered that was a, a huge increase on last year. Now, in all intensive purposes, you'd say, wow, isn't that fantastic? So many people are wanting to, you know, uh, open businesses in, in the pandemic and want to take control of their own destiny and everything else. Fantastic. The counter argument to that might be, though, that um, if they didn't have a business bank account, then they weren't eligible for the bounce back loan. So that's why you've seen a huge swathe of um, businesses trying to open business bank accounts. And that clogged up the system within the banks. It, it clogged it up massively. You know, We've got high street lenders at the moment advising us that it's going to be two to three months before they can actually open a business bank account for somebody. Um, the limited company uh, registrations part of it probably interlinks as well because you would have had a number of businesses. So Stephen, you alluded to, you know, your taxi driver, your delivery driver, yourself, you know, your painter and decorator and everything else, all obviously huge staples of the economy. You know, we, you know the economy doesn't go around without those type of um, businesses. Um, but again, it came back to some of the funding that they would have got because if they didn't have a business bank account and they weren't registered as a company and they were using personal bank accounts to um, collect revenues, again, they weren't eligible for government support. So at that point, you've seen a huge increase in limited companies being formed and new business bank accounts opened. So, um, again, there's arguments on both sides, but having seen this on the coalface, I think it's probably more weighted to the side to access the government money than it is, you know, these uh, businesses, you know, showing entrepreneurial spirit and, and wanting to open. So I would love it to be the, the first version, but, you know, perhaps a little bit of experience teaches me that it's probably the latter we'll see in 10 years time won't we exactly it's, yeah <laughs> it's certainly a mix it's, it's certainly at the very least a mix of uh, a mix of the two um talking about working from home employees working from home um deutsche bank i think it was came out and said that um those working from home should pay more tax because uh, they're, they're not using the services they're not going out spending the money um they have more money uh, as a result of not commuting etc cetera, etc cetera, so they should pay more tax Thoughts on that, Mari? Mm. Yeah, I, I. So my um, my partner works in London, so uh, three days a week. So he commutes to London three days a week, and he is currently saving a thousand pounds a month and getting back twelve hours a week. Um, so it's quite significant. Um, he's not going out for coffee in the morning. He's not having his breakfast and his lunch in London. Um, so there is, I understand that there is a huge part of the economy that's not being supported by him anymore. 
So I do think there is, yeah, I do think there is, I think that's quite a rational thing to do to some degree. I'm sure I won't like it when we have to pay it, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, you do, you because you get allowances, don't you, for working from home as well, you know, from, from the government. So um, I do think if the large, if, if even 20% of the workforce is now working from home, as opposed to working in the office, the, you know, the government, the machine has to have some more money back. On the flip side, most of the money that's spent by London as commuting is with Starbucks. You don't pay any corporation tax, uh, apparently, allegedly. Um, Darren, what are your views? Yeah, I wouldn't be happy about it. Um, I think in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the counter argument, as there always is on this, and it's quite good to have Mari here on this, because um, I think we probably agree in the main on the on. 90% of what we're talking about, but I think we both offer a different perspective on it. Um, the counter argument would be that, am I more productive because I'm working from home? Um, I've not got my hour and a half commute into London, 30 minutes on the underground and then the same coming back. So potentially I've, I've saved myself four hours of my day where I can actually be more productive doing business as, a, as opposed to, to, to traveling. Um, I'll put it down as well to um, perhaps our own personal journey within within the business in that when we were established 15 years ago, um, we took uh, office premises, um, we paid £35,000 a year for office, uh, we had a lovely sweeping driveway that clients um, drove up to and it was all it all looked very nice and shiny. Um, and I think the one thing that you always, when I tend to visit nice shiny offices as a, as a customer is that... Um, there's only one person that's paying for that, and that's me sat, the person who sat in the lobby just about to get an invoice. So um, I think it's just a way of perhaps working from home has, has opened people's eyes to how much more productive you can be, um, how much slicker you can be in terms of your business, and how you can pass that value on potentially to um, the, the, the client at the end of the day. Um, I did see an interesting quote that sort of counters my own argument, and I think it's very valid, is that... Um, that, that you can sustain a business working from home, but can you build and grow a business working from home in effect in isolation? Because I do think it does, um, whilst there is obviously Zoom and such like and these wonderful podcasts and everything, Stephen, um, I think there's, you know, being in an environment with other people does spark um, inspiration, does spark ideas. And, you know, as someone, you know, who's quite a big mental health advocate, you know, I think having other people around you to support you, um, you know, does does help um, because there'll be a lot of people that are, are, are sitting there in silence at home at the moment, no one else around them, um, you know, playing all the problems that the business might have over in the head without having people to bounce it off. Um, so I, I do think there's a counter argument on, on both sides, which I presume will, will please Mari. <laughs> there's a... Um... There's an argument and perhaps a missed trick on on selling uh, working from home, but there's an argument, isn't there, to say that it's more environmentally friendly. No one's commuting, no one's doing this, and it, it may be a way of, um, you know, actioning or hit, helping the government hit its climate targets. I know, um, I, I don't know from the UK, but I know when Italy went into lockdown, I saw some satellite photographs of the traffic congestion of the north of Italy, Milan, and, uh, and you know, the, sort of the centre 
city centres there. And um, and in lockdown, when it was in lockdown, it was a completely different environment. And we all we all experienced that to some extent um, when we actually had you know proper lockdown and like lockdown two now that we, we have was kind of you know an airy fairy version of it. In the in the proper lockdown, it was empty. Streets were empty. The city of London, if you went you know if you went to London, it was empty. There's no one there. And, and now everything's back and uh, a bit, bit more normality to it. But perhaps that working, there should be an incentive for working from home. It would be potentially my view there as an employee, as an incentive, because you're not uh, incurring those costs. Mario, did you want to come back on what Darren said? There's a couple of things, really. There's still nobody in central London, um, apparently. Not even the government. <laughs> no, no, very, very limited. Um, I, I, I completely understand. So, so, but somebody has to make up that revenue that's not being generated. So, for example, if you're not paying um, business rates for your premises or you've, down, you've scaled down your business premises because you were going to expand, but actually 50% of people are working from home, so now you can have a smaller office. Um, so maybe businesses have to pay um, extra tax because 50% of their workforce work from home. Um, I do think it helps the environment. We live just um, next to the M1 and um, during lockdown, lockdown, um, proper lockdown, you know, you would see it, just lorries on the inside lane. That's it. There'd be nothing. Else. Oh, oh, the occasional Audi, obviously, in the outside lane all by itself. But um, no, it, it, it was a significant difference. Um, and environmentally it's yeah it's without a doubt it's it's better for us um but at the moment the trains are still running um because i live next to the m1 and the the train line um and they're empty but they're still running and i know they're more environmentally friendly than cars um so it's a difficult one and again it's a bit like the leisure industry and hospitality and and all those kinds of things if that business is declined significantly what's you know what's coming up to replace it how are we doing things differently and where will the you know where does the government machine get its revenue from because because that's what you know we're going to need it more than ever because we've got all this money to pay back absolutely absolutely Oh, was there anything uh, in the news this week that um, that caught either of your attention that we should talk about? Darren, was there anything that caught your eye? I wanted to try and get to end with a positive because I'm just sort of summarising back on this. And it sounds like I, anybody who knows me knows that I am not a doom and gloom person. I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm quite, you know, quite a happy-go-lucky person actually. And uh, I know Steve, you know me, and you know I, I think this will come across doom and gloom, but. I think one positive, it's non-business, it's non-related, but, and as an Englishman, I have to say, well done to Scotland for qualifying for the Euros last night. Um, they did absolutely fantastic. Um, so um, I think hopefully we can get to a time when we get England at Scotland at Wembley in the Euros. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, hopefully that's a good thing, certainly for the, for the Scottish element of the UK. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to them. Uh, and my little boy today was dressed up as Pudsey Bear, so um, at Children in Need. So, again, something that uh, has slipped the net is that charities struggle um, during this time. Um, you know, as we all have uh, less disposable income, a lot of charities, a lot of sport, um, you know, like my, my little lad's football team, you know, they struggle for funding, they struggle to stay alive. So, it's a lot of casualties. 
Yeah, like Liverpool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the defensive problems that we've had uh, over the last couple of days is troubling, troubling me more than the economy, to be honest. But um, yeah, I just think that not to lose sight on that. You know, we, we're still a, a very strong country. We're a giving country. We, um, you know, we see the positives in the main. Um, and I'm sure that, um, you know, a bit of a shift and some chinks of light uh, and good news in everything over the next couple of weeks might just help them. Might put a smile back on my face for the next time I come on, Stephen. <laughs> Absolutely. Mara, do you have any any news? If it's positive, even better. Um, I'm not sure if it is. It isn't. Um, it was the um, the mini nuclear plants that Rolls-Royce is being part of. Um, I don't know if you saw that at all. Um, this week, Boris is looking at his spend on nuclear power uh, mm. to cover off the gap that we undoubtedly are going to have. Um I think by 2020, 35, our existing nuclear capability will be zero uh, because they will have been decommissioned. Um, so that's 20% of our supply that needs to be um, found. And actually, they believe that electricity needs are going to go up and up and up. So actually, we need way more than that. Um, so, yeah, so Rolls-Royce have generated these um, generated. They've come up with an idea with alongside two other companies, I believe, um, to create mini nuclear plants that will be made in component parts. Um, It's called a small nuclear reactor and they cost about 2.8 billion. No, 2 billion, I think. Um, And the the logic behind it is the reason that nuclear um, power plants are so expensive and so costly is because we hardly ever do it. We hardly ever make them. Um, and whereas if we did these mini ones and we made them in component parts in factories, we'd get really, really good at it. And then actually we could start exporting them and other people would be buying their, you know, their, their small nuclear reactor um, from the UK and we would just be shipping them the parts. Um, and I just, it's, you know, it's, it's will be Midlands and the North of England based work. Um, so potentially could create lots of jobs and opportunity and economy. And I just wondered what you thought about that. And um, Greenpeace have come out and said, no, thank you. Um, You know, we'd rather you put the money into um, hydrogen or um, geothermal um, because that's cleaner. Um, Just, yeah, that's what I found quite interesting. All I could think about was Donald Trump's speech on on wind turbines when he just went off on one and start, started saying... I-, I never understood wind, and I know windmills very much. I've studied it better than anybody. I know it's very expensive. They're made in China and Germany mostly. Very few made here, almost none. But they're manufactured tremendous, if you're into this, tremendous fumes, gases are spewing into the atmosphere. You know, we have a world, right? I'm going to miss that guy, honestly. Everyone's everyone's so happy that he's uh, that he's gone, but he just added so much comedic value to anything in life. It was brilliant. Sorry to uh, to, to avoid the answering of the question I don't know about uh, nuclear reactors. There we go. My, too my, niche. Yeah, that was too niche. <laughs> yeah, it was, but that's okay. We can still it's still worth mentioning. Um, my, my little thing was that Rishi uh, Sunak, the Chancellor, has hinted at, um, at, at consumer um, stimulus 
uh, when it's when it's appropriate, sort of linked to the vaccine, going back to what we started to talk about. Um, you know, re releasing something like the Eat Out to Help Out scheme um, was, you know, a stimulus to get people spending in the economy. And um, and all I can think about is uh, is, is Hong Kong and, um, and and how they they've done it in the past few years. They, the government makes money; they're not on a deficit; they're on a surplus, and they have extra money, so they just give uh, everybody cash. And so this year, um, the start of this year, I think it was, they gave every adult a thousand pounds and spend, and um, and and basically they all went and, and brought a new iPhone. And and uh, and, I, and I and I just I'm just hoping that that's what Rishi comes out with and says here's you here you go here's a thousand pounds for everybody and um and maybe that's it maybe they'll just buy a job lot of iPhones and send us one maybe maybe, maybe that's it and then and then all the conspiracy fans will be going well you're trying to track us I saw something that was quite funny with um you know sort of talking um about the track and trace thing um, that you know people are up in arms you know. Don't like it and uh, don't like the vaccine. It's going to be used to uh, to track our every movement. And then in the next social media post, they say, "Oh, I've just brought myself a new Alexa speaker," and <laughs> and don't see the irony of it. Um, there we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming along to this week's uh, podcast. Thank you very much for uh, for joining me. And for the listeners at home, thank you very much for, for listening to this week's episode of the Business Herald podcast. I'd be grateful if you could subscribe to the podcast and your um, podcast subscription website, leave a review, and follow us on social media. We're at the Business Herald podcast. Until next week, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. That's it. Sorted. Lovely. Easy enough. You're a natural at it, mate. I um I, you could be on the you could be on the radio, and you know I wouldn't be wanting to compliment you like Stephen, but um yeah, you, <laughs> you come across really well on He's that. He's got mate. a face for radio, isn't he? That yeah. guy? Really <laughs> got a face say that, for radio. But, uh,